Well, good morning. When I give announcements, sometimes I go and sit down and think of things that I wished I would have said. Uh, it was kind of nice hearing Scott make the announcement, and I was thinking of things I wished he would have said, but I have a chance to say it. No, I just wanted to uh, add one thing to what he said. Um, he didn't mention it specifically, but um, it's not just a conference for men. And it's not that he implied that, but I just want to to let you know, my wife considers this her favorite event of the year. And she's not a conference kind of lady. Uh, she doesn't like the crowd. She doesn't like the, you know, the the conference kind of atmosphere. I can't figure out why not. But anyway, she doesn't. But uh, she loves the week of prayer. It's her. It's the highlight of her year. And if there was anything she was going to choose to come to, it's the week of prayer. So just for your encouragement, uh, ladies as well, uh, it's it's um, a wonderful. Has been a wonderful blessing. And and like Scott said, we're very excited to to come in this direction. It's hard, though, as we as we announce it and as I tell people up in Canada that we're having a week of prayer in Florida, it's kind of they raise their eyebrows and they're like, yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah, and it's close to the ocean. Right, right. Um, so anyways, uh, we really are looking forward to coming together to pray. So turn your Bibles now to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to continue on in the series that you've begun in this uh, parables of the Lord Jesus, and um, this parable, as already has been announced, is the parable of the Good Samaritan. My daughter was hired on at one of our local hospitals up in Ontario this past October, and as she went for her first day of hospital orientation, this is a public hospital in our area, one of the, the big cities, uh, the instructor told the story of the Good Samaritan. And, uh, and she went on to say that though they were under and are under legal obligation as nurses to a, a medical standard, uh, this, this instructor said, but we operate under a higher standard. And uh, she said, we have a moral obligation, especially to the down and outers. And I thought, here's a publicly, in our case, a publicly funded Hospital and uh, and the instructor is saying that so we were quite encouraged that our daughter uh, this is her first job as a nurse is going into that environment so my point being that uh, this is one of the most popular if you will street level parables um, in the scriptures uh, almost everyone you know will know what a modern day good Samaritan is and and I trust that as we go through this. Uh, we will appreciate a little more the significance of the parable that the Lord Jesus told 2,000 years ago. Herbert Lockyer, in one of his uh, great little books, actually not little books, it's a, it's a big book, but it's uh, on all the parables of the Bible. He has a wonderful introduction on parables in, the, in that book. And he says this, In a parable, an image is borrowed from the visible world, and is accompanied by a truth from the invisible or spiritual world. Parables are the bearers or the channels of spiritual truth and doctrine, and they come or they carry conviction and divine authority. And so that's why the Lord Jesus, a master teacher, used so many parables in his, in his preaching. 
uh, as, as Mr. Lockyer goes on to say, men have to be one, and a parable is a winsome and memorable way of conveying truth. And so I trust that that's your experience here this morning as we, as we drop into this parable and consider some of the lessons from it. Now, before we drop into the content of the actual parable, we have to start with the context, right? So we're going to look at the context, then we're going to drop into the parable itself, think about some of the content, and, and then we're going to draw some conclusions or application from it. So content, or whoops, context, content, Conclusion. So we're starting with the context. So here in Luke chapter 10, the occasion uh, is, well, really, it's close to the middle of the gospel. But Dr. Gooding, in his commentary, he points out that there's two major sections in the gospel of Luke. And it's helpful to see where the parable drops into those two uh, major sections. The first section records the coming of the Lord Jesus from heaven to earth. The Lord Jesus on a journey from heaven to earth. And then the, 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 the whole uh, tone changes in chapter 9. And maybe just turn back if you've got a chapter 9. And verse 51, this is the hinge in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 9, verse 51, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And from this point on to the end of the gospel, it's the Lord Jesus' journey from earth to heaven. So the first half of the gospel, from heaven to earth. And from this point on, if you go on here, it says in verse 52, he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And that's really uh, summarizing the rest of the gospel. He's, he's on his way to Jerusalem, ultimately from earth back to heaven. And again and again, through these remaining chapters in the gospel of Luke, you see this, uh, that he's on his way to Jerusalem. His face is set. He's on a journey. And that's why this uh, this parable of the Good Samaritan is so significant, because uh, it's all about those that are on a journey. We'll see that in a second. And so that's some of the context. But beginning in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10, we read this. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law and what is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, this is the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is again yet another occasion where one of the lawyers, one of the leaders is trying to publicly stump 
the Lord Jesus. And you would think by this point in time they would have figured out it never ends well when you're trying to stump uh, the one in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, the one who uh, is is the uh, just the the living, breathing uh, reread of of his wisdom and and knowledge, and and yet time and time again, these leaders, these lawyers, these uh, priests were trying to stump the Lord Jesus, and so he asked a question, and, and he was testing the Lord Jesus as he asked that question. Now, we have a conference up in Ontario, and uh, some men from Florida have been up to it to preach. And it's one of these conferences where after after two sessions, there's a question and answer period. And uh, and so uh, during lunch, you can write down uh, the, your question, and then they're handed to you. Now, when you sit and you listen to some of those questions, you think, now, what on earth is going on here? Is that question being asked just simply because the person actually wants to know? Or are they trying to stump the preacher? And I'm, I'm afraid many times it's that opportunity to try and stump the preacher with the hardest questions they can come up with. And the reason I'm thinking this is because I'm the next one to, on top to preach at that conference here in April. So uh, the, the preparation for the messages, no problem. But it's that uh, having questions thrown at you, which uh, is is not necessarily the favorite part of the conference, at least for me. So here the here the young lawyer, I, I say he's a young lawyer, at least is is standing up. He's testing the Lord Jesus and asking the question, "Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal?" Life. Now, I'm not going to address this too much. Uh, I think this will be one of your questions uh, in the midweek. Um, but it does it does reveal the lawyer's worldview, doesn't it? Uh, when he asks the question, "What shall I do to inherit eternal life?" And the Lord Jesus uh, very strategically turns the question back on the lawyer, and he says, "Well, you're the expert." What does your law say? What does the law say? And what is your understanding of the law? And the lawyer responds back with really a very good answer. He, he responds in the way that the Lord Jesus actually responded on another occasion where he summarized the law with these two commandments. And, and we read it here in verse 27. This is the lawyer's response. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And then as your, and your neighbor as yourself. The Lord Jesus responds to this lawyer and says, that's right. That's, that's, that's a good answer. That's, that's exactly what the law says. And now that we know that you know what the law says, go do it. Ah. Can you imagine that lawyer uh, thinking, oh no, I, I got bested again. Uh, and, and I got outsmarted again. And, and so this, this young man, um, this lawyer, he, he wanted to justify himself, it says in verse 29. He wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now why did he want to justify himself? The Lord Jesus didn't condemn him. The, the Lord Jesus didn't uh, say anything uh, condemning to him. In fact, he approved. He, he said, you've answered rightly. You, you've, you've answered well. The Lord Jesus wasn't uh, coming across with a condemning tone or anything like that. But the reality is, this man felt convicted. 
as he was confronted with the standard that he had set for himself. He, he, he said to the Lord Jesus, here's what the law says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so the Lord Jesus affirmed that and said, now that you know it, go do it. Now this man realized, okay, I've got a problem here. I know it, but to live it and to do it is something very different. And so he felt the need to justify him himself. And of course, uh, under conviction, he, he, um, no doubt understood that, that he couldn't really say that he's loved the Lord his God with all his heart and with all his soul and all his mind and all. So he didn't even mention that in his response to the Lord. Uh, again, he said, well, let's talk about the neighbor part. I think I've got that one down. I know, I know my obligations uh, as a good Jew. I, I kind of know the limits, the extents of, of, of who I need to love. And of course, he had this answer in his mind, uh, the, his neighbor, he's thinking geography, he's thinking uh, religion. And so he had an obligation, of course, as a Jew to his fellow Jews. And so in his mind, he thought, I've got, I've got this one covered. Um, I, I know the, the answer. And, and so it was with this question, uh, intending to justify himself, he asked the Lord Jesus this question, who is my neighbor? I was thinking this morning about this whole justifying himself, and I thought I can identify with that a little bit. I had an experience just on Thursday night at home. I was meeting with our elders, and one of the elders uh, at the chapel at home, he said something about asking me to do something today. And I said, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be away. Um, he said, oh, he said, uh, are you headed away somewhere? I said, yeah, I'm supposed to be preaching in Florida um, we're ice and snow at home, just so, just to be clear. And, uh, he, he just kind of raised his eyebrows. Oh, oh, okay. And, uh, just the look on his face, um, made me feel the need to justify myself. And I actually, I have to admit this, I actually, uh, went home and I texted him and I said, well, you don't understand. Like, I'm, I'm not just going to the beach. I, you know, here are the reasons why I need to be in Florida. So there I am. He didn't say anything. And he responded back. He said, I wasn't thinking anything negatively by it. I just wasn't aware. So, so there I am justifying myself. Here this, this lawyer, when he's confronted with the, the, the reality, uh, he exposed himself. He said, here's, here's what the law in summary is. And the Lord Jesus says, well, go, you've answered it rightly, go do this and live. And so it's under this sense of conviction that he asks that question as he tries to justify himself and who is my neighbor. So that leads us to verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, 
and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So, the Lord Jesus asks, So, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? We'll pause there as we think about the content of this parable. As I, as I read this, this parable and I think of what the Lord, uh, what the lawyer just asked, this, this kind of legal question, the, the lawyer is saying, okay, uh, I understand that I need to love my neighbor as myself. Now, what are my legal responsibilities here? What, what are the, the boundaries? Who, who do I, or how far does my love have to go? How far does my neighborhood extend, uh, before I can just ignore the need around me? And, and the Lord Jesus obviously doesn't answer that question. He kind of raises the stakes quite significantly. And it actually reminds me of when you read through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you, you hear the Lord Jesus saying repeatedly uh, during the Sermon on the, on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. In other words, you have heard it said in, your, in the law, uh, here's the standard, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But I say unto you, in other words, there's a no, uh, another whole new threshold, a, no, a whole new level that the Lord Jesus is, is introducing in the Sermon on the Mount. And here, as he responds to this lawyer, the lawyer is looking for a legal answer. And the Lord Jesus is saying, no, I've got a whole new standard that I want to introduce to you. And that's what he does here in this account. And so we begin, we're introduced to this unfortunate traveler. It doesn't say, but no doubt he was a, a fellow Jew. And he was traveling from Jerusalem in a, in a northeasterly direction towards Jericho. Now, since Jerusalem is on a mountain, um, 3,300 feet up, uh, in the air, the, the road to Jericho, you've probably heard, is a, a winding road. It's about 18 miles long and it winds down uh, all the way. It's the kind of road that if you're on a tour bus, and I've been on it a couple of times, uh, it kicks into low gear going both down and up because the incline is that significant. And, and it's pretty, it's pretty rugged, the territory, and there's lots of caves off to the sides, and you can just imagine the setting here. Uh, these caves were, uh, as, as, uh, history tells us, uh, these caves, it was common for uh, them to be used as hideouts for thieves. Um, there's, there's different suggestions. Um, some have said that that during this time that this ter- parable would have been told, or previous to this, uh, there had been a layoff of of many uh, workers by Herod um, in the day, and and that they would have been unemployed, and they went to thieve, uh, being thieves and robbers, and uh, and so there were just many of them on this on this road living in the caves, and and this would have been a dangerous road to travel. Uh, not unlike us going into certain neighborhoods of our city. You know, it's not safe to go there after dark. Well, that's, that's the kind of road that this, this man was traveling on. And, and as we read here, as the Lord Jesus tells in his parable, this man was the victim of a brutal attack. And, uh, they, they pounced on him. He was robbed. He was stripped. He was beaten to a pulp. And he was, he was left for dead. He was, 
he was if if no one intervened uh, there was no question um he would he would have died his wounds would have uh would have led to that now in the parable the lord jesus tells us about three different individuals that passed by this wounded man and if we look at verse 36 as the lord jesus concludes his parable we see that the lord wants us to compare these three men He says, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? So we often think of the Good Samaritan as the focus of the story, and that's true, but it's against the backdrop of these two thieves. And so we've got, we've got exhibit A, you might say, these first two travelers, and I'm putting them together, uh, both for sake of time and because the Lord Jesus does in the text. Notice in verse 31 and verse 32, first he talks about the certain priest, and then verse 32, he says, likewise, a Levite. So they, they both were kind of cut from the same cloth, you might say. And, and they, they traveled along, the highly esteemed priest, and then the, there's all, the, the Levite, another religious, uh, important man would have served in the temple. Uh, they were traveling to Jericho, likely because they were off duty, and a lot of the off duty religious folk lived in Jericho. And so they, they headed, uh, down, and, and they came across this man lying there half dead, and they, as we read here, stepped to the other side, avoided him, and carried on their journey. But Exhibit B were introduced to a certain Samaritan. And we read that he, as he journeyed, he came to where this man was. When he saw him, we read he had compassion. And rather than crossing over to the other side, we, we know the, the parable well. He went to him. He, he bandaged his wounds. He used the oil and wine likely to clean and to soothe the wounds. And then he took this, this, this wounded man and laid him on his, his animal, likely a donkey and took him to a shelter where he asked the innkeeper to provide care and paid for the costs in advance. So I like as I compare these two, Exhibit A, Exhibit B, the two religious officials and the Good Samaritan, as I compare them, obviously there's some there's similarities here. And we, it's good to notice those. First of all, uh, they were all on a journey. Uh, these religious people were on a journey. The Samaritan was on a journey. Uh, they, these were all busy men. Um, it's not like one had more time than the other, and so it was just more convenient. No, they were they were all in their in their calendar. They they all had a travel day. Uh, they they all had a place to go, and they were they were busy men. Uh, the religious men, the Samaritan, um, they had places to go, things to do. Uh, they both are all saw the man, this wounded man in his need. It's it's not that one saw the need and the other didn't. No, it's it's clear from the text that that the religious men they saw the man in his need and and the Samaritans saw the man in his need. It's not that it would have been uh, more dangerous or less dangerous for one to stop than the other. It it was equally risky to stop on that road um, you could have looked at this man laying on the road and thought, oh, this is a setup. Um, you know, if I stop to help him, there's going to be people that jump out and it's going to be an ambush. Uh, well, it wasn't less risky for one or for the other. It was equally as dangerous, whether you were a religious official or whether you were a Samaritan. Um, and, and so uh, there's lots of similarities between these two. 
But there's one fundamental difference, and this is what we need to draw our attention to this morning. The good Samaritan had something with him that day that the religious officials didn't. I'm not talking about the oil and the wine. Notice what it says here in verse 33. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The Samaritan had a heart of compassion. The priest and the Levite, they were religious experts. They were, they were the practitioners. They were, they were the ones that knew the law. They taught the law. They discussed the law. They enjoyed the law. They loved the law. They, they would have spouted off the same answer that the lawyer did if the Lord Jesus came and asked them about the law. This was their life. They lived it. This was, this was, this, this was the air they breathed. They, they loved the law. But the reality is that living under the constraints and obligation of the law did nothing to produce within them a heart of compassion. And that's the, that's really the, the message of the New Testament that the law cannot and will not produce any kind of inner response as far as compassion or love or anything like that. And, and it's certainly as we get to the, the letters of the Apostle Paul, we, we learn that more fully as we go to Galatians and Romans, we realize the law was never given to produce in the human heart righteousness. It was never given to be a means by which we earned a standing, a moral standing before God. No, the law was given to expose our sinfulness. It was, it was given to expose the reality of our wicked hearts and to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord Jesus, the Savior. And, and, and so the law, I just heard this last week, the law functioned like an x-ray machine. You know, the x-ray, it, it, it gives you a picture of what's going on inside. So you book an appointment, you go for an x-ray, and you, you see the doctor tells you what's on the x-ray. Well, you don't book another appointment with the x-ray machine to get healing. No, the, the work of the x-ray machine is over with. Uh, it's exposed the problem. Now you need to go find a solution. And in the same way, the law was given not to, not to produce, not to create. And this is the, really what the Lord Jesus is demonstrating to this young lawyer. You're men of the book. You're men of the law. You, you live it. You breathe it. But, but look, it's an empty shell. When, when there's real need, the need of the hour, the greatest need of a man, uh, there's nothing in you to respond to it because all you've got is the law. And isn't that true in our own lives as well? James writes this. He's talking about, I should actually read it in James chapter two, very important uh, verses. And it fits well with this. James 2 and verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? And so it goes on and says in verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so the law commands, love your neighbor as yourself. But it gives no 
power, no ability to fulfill that command. And so here, here we have these religious officials and, uh, and the Lord Jesus is demonstrating in this parable the, the, the inability of religion in itself to ha- help man in its greatest hour of need. Here was a man absolutely destitute physically and, and here were spiritual men of the cloth, um, or, or, or spiritual, or, or they're, they're men, they're, they're considered religious men of the cloth, and, uh, and yet there was nothing within them to respond uh, to the man in the hour of need, to, to contribute, to help, to, to rescue. And so the Lord Jesus uses that as a backdrop as he as he then turns and talks about the 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 Samaritan and and really it's a it's just a if you would have been in the audience on that that day that the Lord Jesus told it um, this this part would have just completely blown your mind uh, the fact that the Lord Jesus now uses a Samaritan as the the hero in the story would have been something that they just just could not have have been able to to process the samaritan was always the villain in their culture the samaritan was always the despised the uh, the samaritan was always the one that that um that was painted negatively in any story and so for this young lawyer to hear the lord jesus say religion failed to meet the need but here's a Samaritan who had something within that responded in the hour of the need. And, uh, and we go on to see this lovely, lovely story of the good Samaritan. The Samaritan, notice um, three things. The Samaritan saw the need or saw something. And then the Samaritan felt something. And then the Samaritan did something. He saw something. He felt something. This deep inner passion, uh, this strong language here, that word compassion, it's that, that idea of the bowels, the great inner, as far as you can go inside. It was that feeling. It just, it just wrenched him from the inside out. He was so uh, burdened, this compassion, as he saw this wounded man, um, and it moved him to action. It wasn't, it wasn't outward compulsion. That's what the law does. It, it forces you to do things, forces you to act. But this Samaritan had something else, an inner compulsion. It was a compulsion of love. It was a compulsion, a response of the heart. This man saw the need. He felt something and he did something. He got down and he cleaned and bandaged the wounds of this wounded traveler. Now there's... There's a whole another sideline that we could go, but we won't. But just just talking about the the wounded man, um, this this man, presuming likely that he was a Jew, the one that that traveled and was was beaten and wounded, he would have in his in a normal day never ever allowed a Samaritan to to touch him. Um, uh, one one commentator says no more than he would have let a rattlesnake touch him. Like it was just absolutely unclean. Uh, he would have never allowed a Samaritan to touch him. However, circumstances changed. And so he would have woken up in the morning and had, and had no dealings with a Samaritan, wouldn't have wanted anything to do with a Samaritan. By the end of the day, his life was indebted 
to a Samaritan man. It's really, and, and it's amazing. I mean, we can think of, of, of just in the broader um, picture how God allows circumstances into our life to humble us and, and cause us to recognize we're not quite as independent and self-sufficient as we, as we think we are. Um, and, and brings us to a place where our, our independent, proud spirit is broken and we're really willing to receive help. Um, we saw a beautiful example of this uh, in November. We had a man come to a men's breakfast and, and then to a week of meetings. Interestingly, it was Mike Atwood and, and Joe Reese that we had preaching there. And um, this man came to the breakfast and and after the breakfast, the gospel was shared, and and he came back walking, just weeping. Came to the back, and and I I went to him, and and um, he had four years earlier, his son had come to our kids club, and uh, he was he tells us now in his testimony that gives you a hint of where this is going. Uh, he tells us how when he heard that his son was going to a Bible club. He, he just, he had a great conflict with his wife. He was so angry that she was allowing their son to go to this church for a, a Bible club. Well, earlier in September of this year, his father-in-law, who lived with them and was very close to, to this man, died suddenly of, a, of an aneurysm or something, bang, on the floor. And, uh, and this David is his name, uh, the, the fellow I'm referring to. He looked at this, this man laying there on the floor and he said, the first thing that came to his mind is, is this it? Is this, is this it? Is this all I've got to live for? Is this, is this where I'm going? And suddenly just seeing his father-in-law laying there, um, started all of these inner thoughts and everything, and he ended up coming to our our men's breakfast, which is the, the beginning of a week of meetings. And, and he says, I, "I've got to get answers. I've got I've got a hole in my heart." Um, and by Thursday night, he was he was wonderfully saved, and it was such a joy. Um, two minutes after he prayed, Joe and I and him were sitting there, and the two minutes after he prayed, he said, "He said, you know that hole in the heart that I was talking about on Saturday." He said it's gone, and uh, and he's been a joy to us ever ever since. But just saying that the Lord sometimes allows these circumstances, as He did in the days of, of this man traveling, um, at, at, to humble and uh, make him vulnerable. Well, we see that religion did nothing to save this man, and that's really the point, isn't it? Uh, religion did nothing in and of itself to save this man, but the Samaritan saw the need. He saw the need of his fellow man. He felt something, this loving compassion, and then he did something at great cost to himself, sacrificing time and, and safety and finances and, and comfort and all of these things. Now, that's the, the content. That's the, the bare-bones content. Now, just by way of conclusion, if parables are to be bearers or channels of spiritual truth, then we gotta have some conclusions here. We gotta, we gotta see how this fits with us. Number one, and there will be three, and I'll go over them quickly. Number one, we have a beautiful Savior, don't we? Um, you, you cannot miss the message of the gospel in this. Uh, this is a, a beautiful story of one who saw our need, a despised, rejected man who was willing at great cost to himself to come and rescue us 
Not from, not simply from the physical results of sin, but the spiritual reality of sin itself. And so in telling this story, undoubtedly the Lord Jesus is, is speaking of himself. You don't have to be overly creative to see the Samaritan who's on a journey. Uh, as I mentioned before, the Lord Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem and uh, and to see the actions um, exposing the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Mr. Lockyer in his book on parables, on this particular parable, says there is a legitimate application of the parable uh, to the Lord Jesus. Did not God make humanity his neighbor? Seeing a world of sinners robbed of their true nature, stripped of divine ideals, wounded by sins, unable to rise, God came down in the incarnation to where the sinner was. Christ, through his death and resurrection, covers our nakedness, binds up our wounds, and heals us with a soothing ointment extracted from his own broken heart. Not only so, but he puts us in a place of safety, provides for our needs, and has promised to return and take us to himself. Thus, the parable is radiant with the beauty of the gospel of Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you've never been rescued by a beautiful, compassionate Savior, let me recommend to you the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save the lost. And if you've never been rescued, your plight is far greater than what we're reading here, a physical damaged by sin, you need to be rescued from death itself. You need to be restored to a relationship with the God of the universe, and that is only possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful gospel uh, picture and parallel, uh, as, as this commentator says, radiant with the beauty of the gospel of Christ. We certainly want to recommend him to you here this morning if you've never trusted him for salvation. So number one, we have a beautiful Savior. Number two, our response to someone in need exposes the true condition of our hearts. Our response. It's easy to look down our noses in verse 31 and 32 to these religious people who who saw the need and turned away and went their own way. We see in the parable, oh, they're exposed Their religion is an empty shell. What about us? What about us? It's so easy for us to put up the boundaries and the, and say, well, this is, this is our concern, but these people over here or this group of people over here, that's where our obligation stops and we'll let somebody else. No, as we're led along by the Spirit of God, we need to recognize that our, our, uh, this matter of being neighborly is not geographic in nature. But it's, it's the condition of the heart. And, and do we see the need around us? Are we moved with compassion, uh, as the Lord Jesus was? And where does that compassion come from? 
Uh, the scriptures tell us very clearly in different places. Romans 5, for example, uh, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Apostle Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians to say that he's compelled, he's, he's, he's constrained by the love of Christ. This love is not something that is, that is produced within. Um, it's something that comes as a result of being connected to the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of God living within us. And it's only, it's only right that we respond in compassion uh, to those in need around us. I loved the response of David, the one I was referring to, who just got saved this fall. Try to get together with him weekly. And a couple weeks into his new life as a believer in the Lord Jesus, he said, he said, I just, he said, I just need to help someone. He said, I, I don't know how I'm going to do it. He said, I don't know if I need to. He's a furniture salesman. He said, I don't know if I need to like take counseling courses or I don't know if I need to. Like he was just like, how can I help? He was just bursting with this need to help people. And I thought, this is so refreshing. I haven't heard a seasoned believer say that in a long, long time. And so I, I recommended we have a, a great organization in our city that uh, works with the homeless and my daughter's involved there and I said you know they're taking volunteers all the time well within four days he had applied and been interviewed uh, for for a volunteer position with his organization and he's so excited to to get out I just I just gotta help somebody uh, what a what a beautiful window into the condition of of his heart uh, and then thirdly, as we close, just following again what I said earlier, we are called as believers not only to see something, not only to feel something, but to do something. Notice verse 37, as the Lord Jesus closed off this parable and they wanted to drive his point home, um, he, the, 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 the lawyer responds to the Lord's question, but notice then in verse 37 at the end of the verse, then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. It's, it's not enough just to be aware of the need to see it and even to feel stirred up about it and have compassion. There, there is an obligation we have and sometimes we're guilty of, of increasingly of, uh, not increasingly, I think we're being aware of this increasingly, how much we separate the good works from the good news. And uh, and then we wonder why the good news isn't as appealing, perhaps. And we've been so so afraid of of good works, you know, because we don't want anybody to be saved, think they can be saved by good works. And so we kind of we kind of settle that down. We don't want to talk about that too much. But I think it's important that we 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 start thinking more clearly. How do the good works and the good news fit together? And I know Jabe has really stretched my thinking on that down in Mississippi as they serve there. And that's really, in that environment, has given him a, a realization that there needs to be uh, the, the union of the two uh, in, that, in, in our ministry. And the Lord Jesus certainly was a beautiful example of a ministry that included both compassion for the spiritual and the physical needs of the people he met. And so... I, I apologize, I've gone over time already, but uh, just just seeing here in this wonderful parable of the Good Samaritan, the, the contrast between Exhibit A and Exhibit B, and we're introduced to a, a man who had something that the religious didn't, had a, a heart of compassion, 
That's not produced by the law and by regulations. Uh, It's produced uh, in us as believers uh, as we come to know the Savior. And uh, certainly, again, as we, as I said earlier, if you haven't ever been rescued by the Lord Jesus um, from your sin, then please uh, come talk to myself, one of the elders, whoever. We we certainly want to recommend him to you. He has uh, come to seek and to save the lost, and he's coming again, and we eagerly anticipate that day. Until then, let's uh, let's consider our role and our response uh, to this parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for these very practical stories that uh, the Lord Jesus used in illustrating his points and in his ministry. And, and they're easy for us in one sense to uh, connect with as we can, we can picture someone lying on the road. We can, we can envision that in our mind's eye and, and then to see the responses of these different ones. And we're just moved by the compassion, the tenderness of this Samaritan who would have been a despised and a rejected man, but yet he was willing to come down and to come near where this wounded man was, uh, to give of himself to rescue him. Father, we, we can't help but be moved as we think of your son, the Lord Jesus, who came down from heaven, came to where we were. Uh, those of us, we were, we were d- dead in our trespasses and sins, and we needed to be rescued. We thank you that he was willing to come and to seek and to save and to bring us back to yourself. Lord, we we just pray that as we go from here, that these lessons would linger and we would consider our response uh, to this parable of the Good Samaritan and the words of the Lord Jesus to that lawyer, go and do likewise. Part us with your blessing, we pray, as we seek to faithfully represent our Savior uh, in the week ahead of us. We pray this in his name. Amen.